3: It's Josh, Bo, and Kirk Henderson coming to you with a uh, quarantine edition, once again, of Mavs Moneyball After Dark. Josh, how are you doing?
1: Uh, I'm doing okay. I I feel like I'm at the same space mentally every time. We check in every week, so. Okay, but you know, same space. Yeah. The same
3: space is good because I, yeah. you know, I like talking to you because it's part of my habit. It's part of my routine. It helps me feel like a human being, and hopefully, you know, I, 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 I'm cutting back my podcast listening. So those of you who are still listening to us, we very much appreciate it because I know it's everybody that's doing stuff. You know, we we've just kind of changed our routines, but um, so we're coming to you tonight. Uh, Josh wrote a story. The Mavs have, uh, or I'm sorry, Fox Sports Southwest has essentially finished up their their recap reviewing of the 2011 playoffs where they ran all of the miami victories all kind of kind of in a row uh over like a it was like a five-day period pretty much where they they ran two one night and then two another night pretty pretty soon after and josh decided to focus on the um game four victory which was in it was in miami right No, yeah, no so it, was it was in it was, dallas oh it's two yeah that's right the first two were played down there, it was two, Mm -hmm. three, two. Um, So game four was in Dallas. And, you know, let's just, uh, you know, first, why did you pick that one?
1: Well, the theme of my little series was to pick one unsung win from each series. And when you get to the finals, I don't even know if it's fair to call any finals win when you win a championship unsung, like you need four, all four are just as almost as important as each other. Uh, so I just kind of looked at looked at the four, and I was like, "Well, obviously everyone knows Game Two, the big comeback. Obviously Game Six, they clinch. So it was kind of between Game Four and Game Five, and Game Five had such that that fantastic run at the end of the fourth quarter um, that I felt like was so memorable, capped off by that crazy Jason Terry shot. I felt like if you had to like ask a Mavs fan at random on the street uh if like hey tell me about each of these games i feel like maybe game four would be the one they could maybe say the least about so that's how i that's how i narrowed it down uh it was also like probably the ugliest game of the series 86 83 um, which was even pretty low scoring you know for then uh so it was it was another kind of rock fight game which has kind of been the theme for a lot of these unsung wins that i've looked at (laughs) um these aren't the prettiest games in the world and so, but, so yeah, but it was just really interesting. It was, you know, the Dirk fever game and mm. the thing uh, not to keep rambling on, but the thing that I kind of noticed, like I kind of forgot was Dirk actually made his first three shots in the first minute 25 of this game. And he finished the night six to 19. And he, made, <laughs> and he finished shot his final shot, that clinching layup that basically clinched the game he made that with 15 seconds left. So wow. from a minute 25 to 15 seconds left in the game, he made two. Wait, he made two baskets, and the match <laughs> That is incredible. Yeah. So, I, you know, I probably
3: shouldn't pitch this to you, but I sort of think one thing you should consider doing in the next week or two, whatever, whenever you feel like it, is review kind of your notes and your stories and maybe pull out some of just absolute bananas stats like that or things <laughs> that, because there's some really, like, you know, you had a really good one on Brendan Haywood. Like, there's just like, like some forgotten moments that I think that we really need to try to grab onto. I had no idea. That's insane.
1: Yeah, so basically the entire game, he went, making two shots, and they won. Uh, Wow. Yeah, it was a huge uh, Sean Marion game. He was 7 of 12. And when you consider the team shot 39%, like, that's just pretty crazy. Um, And Terry and uh, Stevenson had really good games. And this was the game. This was the first game Berea started that Carlisle made the the change. Um, And I think the thing that I noticed kind of watching as the series progressed is, like, you know, Peja was the backup wing for when Marion went to the bench. And he was the only I don't only even backup. remember him playing. He couldn't have played much. No. And Pesha didn't play at all in this game. Uh, and he he basically got more unplayable as the playoffs went along and they kept playing better teams. Sure. Like LA was basically the last team they could get away with playing him. And in the, Miami, the first two Miami games, it was like obvious. Like they went to the bench and you maybe bring in Pesha for like a minute or two. He can't play. So you're doing these weird small lineups and it, it just didn't work out. So I actually thought like Berea had an okay games four, five, and six, but I think one of the bigger impacts was that they put Stevenson on the bench. So Stevenson basically became the backup wing and Miami was so lopsided in their starting lineup. Berea could just hide on the point guard. It was either bike Bibby or Mario Chalmers or Eddie house. Like, who cares? And then in that starting lineup, and then Stevenson can come off the bench. And when Marion needs to take a break, and you don't really give up as much, you know, because he could still play defense, and you could still hit shots. So that was, yeah, I thought that was actually like a key thing. And Stevenson played 26 minutes in that game four, had 11 points, hit three threes. It was one of his, it was his first like good game of the finals. So (laughs) Like, you talk about Rick Carl's coaching that series, like, that's just kind of it. Like, you think about the Barea thing, you're like, oh, it's because the offense was slower than any more offense, and you got to know that he was thinking about, like, oh, well, I can actually rejigger my rotation and make this a more balanced lineup for 48 minutes.
3: So one of the things you really focused on in your article, like the bulk of the article, which everybody should go read if they haven't, I'm linking to it in our post, I'm linking to it in the podcast, you can click on both of these things and read it. You talked about how just important the defense that it was, and now in an 86-83 win, that's kind of a given, but (laughs) you can go through and you look at who is playing and then the defense starts to make sense but they still had Dirk Nowitzki with a 102 degree fever and Dirk has never been much of a defensive stalwart it's not that he doesn't try it's just he can't he's not laterally quick so what how was he able to survive out there did they just kind of hope that he didn't get burned were the heat not taking advantage of him what happened to him if you remember
1: yeah i don't i don't think the heat you know this is bef- right before like pace and space so the heat did not involve him in nearly enough pick and rolls Coincidentally, they did that more in game five. Uh, but the Heat, by not doing that, and then by also always playing another big. Like Joel Anthony played 28 minutes in this game. Uh, Udonis Haslam played 21. Jawan Howard played three. Like there was always two bigs on the floor, and there was always a big next to Bosch. But they had and, to do that,
3: though. Yeah. Because if they didn't do that, Tyson's going to crush them on the boards. Like the yeah. Mavs were really – like we talked about this before, and I don't care. We're going to talk about it again like they're your, they're almost a prototype for what you hope for with with spread offense because if you have a big four like a really big four who can shoot the ball, pair him with a rim protector who is a good rebounder, and you're forcing teams to make choices like that,
1: yeah, and look at the box score Dirk had eleven rebounds, Tyson had sixteen like, it is. like uh Tyson had nine offensive rebounds uh in this game, so like. It was a big deal. Like, the, the Mavs could – like, I think we said this before, yeah. Like, and just what you said, they could play two bigs and they didn't – they could kind of go either way. Like, it. they, they kind of forced teams to play with them instead of having to kind of adapt to other teams because mm-hmm. Dirk's not going off the floor and Tyson was so good. They just – that pairing just worked so well.
3: So, pulling back from, from – I want to return to this game, but you said something about J.J. earlier which cracked me up because you talked about how in the article – in game four, he you know he's like three of nine from the floor, but he still mixed it up enough to where he was effective. Do you remember the 2011 season in JJ Barea? Does anything like stand out to you? Because I there's a line of demarcation that I went and found last night because it was so his season, his 2011 season. I I remember viscerally hating him, <laughs> hating him
1: to start he, the year because he was taking minutes from Roddy.
3: But it's more than that. Do you remember? Your this is going to blow you away. Did you read my tweet or no? Did you I remember? You know where I'm tweet. going with this. I do okay. not know where you're going with this. If you could make a prediction about the first thirty games of 2011 and his three point shooting percentage, oh man, yes.
1: Uh, I um, this is jogging my memory. It was probably let's do 25 percent. 14. <laughs> oh
2: wow. That's and a riot.
3: He shot basically two, like two and a third a game. He was shooting threes. Yep. Now, what would you guess his three point percentage? Per, his three point percentage was the final fifty two games?
1: I mean, I'm guessing if you're asking me, it was pretty high. So let's do 42. 45. <laughs> I remember he had a really good game on the road in Sacramento where he hit a bunch of threes and helped them win a game. I don't know why, but that game sticks out to me.
3: I mean, this was, you know, Berea probably isn't going to come back next year. This that is such an encapsulation of the JJ Berea um experience because he's been such a useful player. And this that playoffs, you can tell now, while re-watching this playoffs, you can see why Carlisle stuck with him for so long because he was he was effective he was good but the man was incapable or I'm sorry the man was so capable of unbelievable highs and lows like that's what I'm going to remember from Berea because when he was working a defense particularly a backup defense it was it was just like watching you know a mini a mini LeBron James that's yeah. not he's so good at, at playing I'm, I'm really gonna I'm gonna miss the idea of JJ <laughs> quite a bit when he's gone.
1: Yeah. And you talk about that three-point shooting, like I know we're kinda of getting off track, but like look at his career three-point shooting. He didn't become like a consistently good three-point shooter until way after his prime. Yeah. Like yeah. it like it, it's it's just wild how he was able to be so effective early on without a consistent jumper. Cause you yeah. you just every defense would just be like, All right, you gotta hang back, and he would just scoot right by him. Well, so much of this, and not just
3: Brea, but so much of this is Carlisle, you know, returning to the finals itself. But then, you know, Brea is just an extension of that. Carlisle's ability with players who he understands and who also then can return that understanding. You know, OJ Mayo for a few months, (laughs) Um, Brandon Wright, uh, Dwight Powell. Hell, because like Dwight Powell stinks, but he is, uh, you know, a $10 million a year man because – Carlisle was able to figure him out like this is why we never want Carlisle to leave until he until like the man's just an incredible basketball coach because if you go look at these these box scores the Mavs are playing like a seven and a half man rotation at most against the the flying death machine of Chris uh Chris Bosh LeBron James and Dwayne Wade like they were horrifying
1: Mm mm-hmm Yeah, they only basically only played what two guys came up. It was Terry and then Stevenson when they made that switch, and that was about it. A couple minutes for whoever the backup big would spare Dirk and Tyson for like five minutes.
3: Pretty much. Well, so you have – so I want to talk about the Heat to finish this up. But before we talk about the Heat and then get into kind of the series as a whole, talk to me a little bit about Tyson Chandler because, you know, there've been at least three of these four games that you've covered where you've, you know, kind of thrown in here and there about Tyson's play. And each time there's a jab about, well, maybe we should have signed him until he died. (laughs) And it's, you know, 16 rebounds in this game. Are you kidding
1: me? Yeah, he was, he was unbelievable. (laughs) Unbelievable. Like uh, that patented back tip, like, you know, back out for the offensive rebound. Like that's his, that's like his move um looks like, like a pass yes like man, it just like pass it back out it's like a volleyball set or something it's just it's crazy um and then you look at the fact that in 2010 2011 he was a 73 percent free throw shooter like and considering how many times he got fouled on the rim with all the attention dirk and terry were getting pick and rolls like are you kidding me like he just did every single thing that you would ask. Like you could not if you went into a lab and Dirk's prime and were like, okay, you need a center that can play against Dirk. Like Tyson would come out of it. Like you wouldn't, what would you even change? Like it's it's just crazy to watch him in this finals and just how crucial he was and just the fit and just how seamless he was playing next to Dirk in that front line. Like he was only here one season and you watch him play with Dirk and it's like they've been playing for 15. Like
3: it it was, it was
1: remarkable, the fit.
3: He was the piece. And we need, you know, Mark Cuban is doing a lot of things. He's, He's talking out about interesting and, and thoughtful things related to coronavirus. Part of me understands it's because he's, he's a pretty good dude. But I will never – we need to not let him ever forget that this was such a colossal mistake to let Tyson Chandler go
2: because
3: he and Dirk worked. And when you go back in time from 2010 backwards and, you know, we're watching some of those games where Sean Bradley and Dirk are playing together. Now, Bradley is a man out of time. It's not his fault. But Tyson was the guy that the Mavericks were looking for and they let him go. They let him go twice twice it's just (laughs) it's among it's a travesty it's something that cuban almost to a certain degree should almost apologize for
1: uh funny is he kind of when he traded for tyson that kind of was the theme all season he was like i'm not gonna make this uh, i'm not making the same mistake twice like i i learned my lesson and then because you
3: know dirk god love him he has been given, you know, he's, he's had some things to say recently. Like, uh, there's an interview a couple of weeks back where he comes as close as he can to possibly criticizing the decision in his interview, and he's never going to be that guy. It's just not who he is because, hell, Dirk's the reason the Mavericks traded for uh, Rajon Rondo in, in uh, that one season. Yep. Uh, Carlisle took the heat, but it was Dirk who wanted it. And, you know, we all make mistakes, but it's just like when you watch these games, it's like they were simpatico in a way that is – you know, I just hope the Ma- like this current iteration of the Mavericks can find, you know, that Detroit game this year where Luca and Mexico City where Luca and Porzingis were just murdering like that. That's one of the few times since the 2011 season, maybe I guess the the season where they they nearly beat the Spurs in round one. There just haven't been a ton of those moments because they're rare in sports. And that the Mavericks let that go is is it's just unforgivable. It's unforgivable.
1: Yeah, and especially when you consider where the league was going and where the Mavericks were kind of ahead of the pack in terms of, like, having the spaced offense with the rim runner and you think about, like, how good Tyson was that second season in 2015 offensively, and, like, imagine if they just had four more years of that, like, oof.
3: Well, before we move on from this, I do want to at least address the Miami Heat because, you know, I think as time goes on, the Mavericks are eventually going to circle back around and it's going to be understood that the Mavericks won a lot more than the heat lost. Uh, Dwayne Wade got hurt uh, a little bit in the series and you know, the Mavericks have some unbelievably horrid offensive performances compared to where they've been in the playoffs in that year. And that's largely because the Miami heat defense was terrifying when they were on like you know they shot 41 the Mavericks shot 41% from 3 for the series but it doesn't feel like that when you go game by game and look at some of the close ones like like the game the game 4 that we're talking about here the Mavericks it was it was rough it was rough for them from distance because the heat were that good
1: yeah and that was when lebron was like prime de- defensive lebron like bosh was really like man i don't even know if they had a bad defender in their rotation i mean yeah outside of, like, when they played Bibby. But once they got rid of Bibby, like, Chalmers was still pretty good. Like, when Wade and LeBron, like, that was back when they were, like, trying, like, like really hard on defense. And they played this, like, really frenetic, trapping, aggressive scheme that just the way they turned defense into offense was just kind of breathtaking. And it happened a lot in the series. Basically, anytime the Heat do well in this 2011 Finals, if you watch, like, all six games – Basically every run they have is because they generate like three or four turnovers in like a ten minutes span, and they get like four or five dunks in like three minutes. And it's I mean, crazy. they're
3: just, they're terrifying, and mm-hmm. it it parts of it will never process how how they won. I'm glad they did. I I just I, it's it's one of those things that. You know, that that Miami Heat team kind of like this Golden State team didn't really win the number of of finals that they, quote, should have just based on their talent. But Mm -hmm. that's that's why like winning an NBA championship is hard. The Mavericks did it at the right time at the right moment. I don't know if like I don't think Dallas would have been able to do it again. I do, you know, just because like LeBron finally realized after that series that he had to play a little differently. And -hmm. then when the lane opened up for him, that was when they started just crushing people. Mm -hmm. Um so it's, you know, it was it was a good time. I'm really glad you've done this series, though. I think we have a couple more things we're gonna try to squeeze out of it. The funny part about all this is, and this is for longtime listeners of the show, you know, uh, we'll probably do this again next year because it's the tenth anniversary. Oh uh, god. But I don't care because it's fun talking about this because I forget these little details and I don't wanna forget them,
1: you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with I'm right there with you.
3: Okay, guys, Josh and I will be right back after a quick commercial break. We got, ai don't know, probably another 15 minutes. We'd like to talk to you guys. So if you could hang out, we'd appreciate it. This is Advertiser Content brought to you by Frito-Lay.
0: Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight, we'll break down. We break down who will be cutting. Cut! What are you two doing?
1: Sorry, Chip.
2: Just go to frito No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void prohibitive. Here's worth the snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Hello,
3: everybody. It's Kirk Henderson and Josh still We're here with Mavs Moneyball After Dark. We thank you for hanging out after the commercial break. So we've just finished talking about Miami and the uh, the Mavericks in, in Game 4. I think we'll probably circle back about the playoffs a little later on, depending on if anything actually happens with the NBA season. But we wanted to talk a couple of news-ish items and, you know, a couple of things that are happening on the site. So first, Josh, did you happen to catch uh, the ESPN? You know, they're stretching for content, too. Tim McMahon made a great joke about how, like, oh, yeah, it's the 74th year of the league. So, of course, we have to come up with the top 74 in league history. Like, how it's just bad? <laughs> But the, the NBA, they did this with players, and based off of these, essentially what they did is to their expert panel of voters, they had people vote in, like, one-on-one matchups, like, who's the best. And they came out on top, like, it was it was apparently, like, thousands upon thousands of one-on-one matchups where people just had to go through and, like, click emails is what uh, – I heard McMahon saying, and so Dirk ends up, uh, uh, not surprising. Actually, I was pretty pleased. Like nineteenth all time on the NBA ranking list. So, so do you have any any specific thoughts on what happened there?
1: No, I mean, isn't that? I feel okay with that. I've always felt like my opinion was like, hey, he's a top twenty player. And when you got these really wild ESPN lists, sometimes you kind of just hold grace for impact and and hope hope for the best like uh what they had the uh, best individual seasons ranking yeah. list a couple right. like a week or so ago and they had 2011 Derrick Rose over like 1988 Michael Jordan <laughs> and it's like when that happens you're like okay they get like Dirk might end up like 70th on this list like holy shit uh so I'm cool with it. I try not to get too mad about the list stuff. Like that's the thing as I get older, I'm like I got to cool it cuz it's like it's exactly what they publish these things for so that we can get mad and yell about it. And I know it's kind of fun, but like I got to I got to balance, be balanced.
3: It's true. So <laughs> I essentially wrote and I'm going to quote myself because that's how cool I am. Um, I wrote when, when covering this, as time goes on, it'll be interesting to watch Dirk's legacy and how it changes. I suspect he may fall in some of the rankings, which are entirely arbitrary, but his influence is actually going to grow. Nowitzki played in three distinct eras, eras of basketball, the end of the 90s and the low post, the opening of the lane in the mid 2000s and the dawn of small ball in the early 2010. He changed how teams think about an entire position and the value of the long ball from all positions on the floor. So 19 feels about right to me, and I suspect 10 years from now he's probably going to be in the top 25 or within there. But we're going to talk about Dirk Moore uh, because you're going to look at what he did and then how other players play because he was a little bit of an archetype that teams you know, look to build around. I do – think it was very funny that he was head of Kevin Garnett, which is an accurate ranking in my opinion. And he was one spot behind Carl Malone, which is very offensive to me because I think that both Dirk and KG are better than Carl Malone, who played with another top 30 player all time in John Stockton. So how good is Malone really? But uh, beyond that, I, I didn't really have, you know, too many thoughts. It's kind of nice to, to, you know, we've suffered through a lot of like crappy fandom for people hating Dirk and like people like Dirk. That's nice. <laughs> it is nice. Yeah, it's, good. It's, it's really nice. Um, <laughs> the next thing that, that I wanted to at least touch on did, was, you know, if if you guys haven't read it, and, and this is why I recommend a subscription to The Athletic, is they just do content that the rest of us can't do. because like we're all fans, you know, even Dallas Morning News probably have a hard time getting something like this. The Athletic's Michael Lee um, did an unbelievable interview with Sean Marion on why he should be in the Hall of Fame. And anybody that's a long-time Mavericks fan should agree with this because before he was a Maverick, Sean Marion was one of like three guys who I hated so much because he made Dirk's life hell. Do you remember like him and the, him with the Suns?
1: Yeah, that was that was his job was to guard Dirk in all of those games. He was so good at it too, well, and. Then, I know.
3: I remember standing on the corner. I was out front of this bar uh, called tortilla coast in Washington, DC when I first read about the trade and I was like, yeah, we don't have, like, he's not going to guard Dirk anymore. That was actually like my main thing. Like, I didn't care how good he was. It was just like, now he can't guard Dirk. So this is (laughs) like, this just opens things up. (laughs) Um, well, and related to, to you know what we had talked about earlier at the 2011 finals, he has some unbelievable quotes in this this piece. And one of them, I'm just going to read it because it's incredible. He says, everybody that picked Miami to win it before it started, we was laughing. We thought y'all was full of shit, to be honest with you. We was one of three or four teams at the time that was going into the season legitimately had a chance to win a championship. If you didn't see that, I don't know what the hell you was looking at. I guess he wasn't looking at your TV. I mean, <laughs> like he's he right. Just, yes <laughs> he's so he right oh so good and he just like and that's just one quote where he has this about his entire career where i did you ever read uh jack mccallum's seven seconds or less book about the Suns?
1: Uh, i did not that's a failure I recommend,
3: on my part. i recommend it to you it still is a great read now particularly in hindsight because it was the season of stoudemire was hurt so there's a whole lot of like like marian angst and now that his career is done, you can kind of look at that angst and say he might have been right about how, how good he actually was because every team he played on, particularly within the early parts of his career, did well. And then he transitioned to the Mavericks. And I love Sean Marion not just for his finals performance but also for how hard and how well he played after the finals because he was like kind of the guts of the team after, after the finals and after Tyson left.
1: Yeah. And it's just wild. The thing that I'll never get over is he never made an all defense team. I'll never get over that, man. I don't, I'll say it every time you bring him up, bring it up. Like, that's just, I know he needs to be in the hall of fame and and we'll get that, but there's no, like you can't write that wrong. Like, and it's just, yeah. You think about how many teams Kobe made. Because it's arbitrary. Yeah, Yeah.
3: It's all based on paper stuff. And he was on, he was unbelievable. Yep. You know, just, just to, to circle back with with where we've talked about for this, uh, you know, this kind of podcast series that we've done over the finals run, Sean Marion played a part or defended in whole the following players: Brandon Roy, Kobe Bryant, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Kevin Durant, Dwayne Wade, as well as LeBron James. And three, how many? One, two, three, four, five of those men won an MVP. <laughs> God. And and the guy just, like, Marion just doesn't get credit. I love him so much. I would fanboy out around Marion as much as if I actually ran into Dirk or Luca. It'd be pathetic. That, <laughs> just <laughs> kind of my <laughs> Um, The last piece of news we're going to touch on, we're not going to talk about so much, but we're at least going to mention it. So the NBA seems to be working towards their, they've changed it from the terribly phrased bubble solution to the campus solution to how they're going to finish the season. Um, you and I have been pretty vocal on just kind of our our Nick Young meme confusion on what's happening with this. I must say I have I don't want to say I've changed my mind cuz I still think it's stupid, but I have at least learned to let go that if the NBA is doing this, then they're not a dumb group of people. If they're actually going to do this, then I want to have a little bit of faith that they know what they're doing. Is that crazy?
1: That's not crazy. I think I'm just still, I'm too, I'm too cynical. I can't get I just can't get there yet. I don't know.
2: <laughs>
1: You're right. I don't know. Maybe, I just can't talk about it. This
3: is not that, you know, it is not cynicism to be concerned that everybody's rushing because the news is scary. This is a new paradigm. We should be concerned. Um, one of our, our loyal listeners and readers did send me a fana- a fascinating message today. That, uh, that he thinks that the NBA is basically using the Major League Baseball as a Trojan horse and letting them take all the heat, which uh, if MLB goes ahead with what they're doing, then I don't know if the NBA will have much of a choice because the NBA can be much more contained than the MLB. Um, and I do think that the players need to kind of present a united front because it was very interesting to see all the players that were like, oh, yes, we want to do this. And then Spencer Dinwiddie got online drunk and was like, I ain't doing this shit. Um, It just shows how complicated the world is. That's, that's really what it is.
1: Yeah. And I think for me, I think the thing that I, I think, I mean, I've talked about it in our, in our slacks. I think the thing for me is I'm, I'm coming to realize that like, yeah, there's never good, like normal, normal is far away, but like the new normal could be soon if things change the way that they should and like i understand like hey like we don't have to be in lockdown for the next two years but like we gotta do this and this and this and you know people got to wear masks when they go out now and that's just the part of the routine and you got to do this and like there's like a you know there's it feels like now there's at least like a checklist if, if it ever happens but like to get back to that kind of thing but the thing is is i feel like there's we still haven't hit some of those those marks and then a lot of NBA coaches are pretty old. Uh, yeah, Jason
3: Concepcion uh, uh, of of Ringer fame, Network, just you know, they're they're talking about how this affects people over sixty, and then he just like listed all the coaches' ages, and like we think of Rick Carlisle as young mainly because he doesn't have any hair. He's not a young man. He's sixty. Long yeah, knows. he's sixty. And you know, like granted, if I were a virus, I'd be afraid of Rick Carlisle, but I'm not a virus, <laughs> so I can't. You know that's not how viruses operate. So we just, you know, it, it, it's going to be interesting. We're going to see. I don't know how. Like I'm, you know, this is terrible of me to say, but I said this on a Denver Nuggets podcast that I went on earlier in the week. I'm not particularly interested in the Mavericks coming back to get the shit kicked out of them by the uh, the Clippers. Uh, <laughs> we don't learn anything from that. Like you play, like the Clippers. I, I this is how I phrased it, and I, I, again. Thank goodness that only a limited number of people listen to this because I might get murdered for this. The Mavericks are essentially a B to a B plus version of the Los Angeles Lakers. When you, I mean, seriously, you think about how they're designed. LeBron or Luca is LeBron and Porzingis is AD and then it's role players. The Clippers are designed to beat the Lakers who they have manhandled two out of three games. They have also murdered the Mavericks. So
1: none of the game, they've played two games and they have not been close.
3: Luca stormed off and didn't do media. Like, what the hell are we gonna learn from that? Other than the Mavericks, other than the Clippers are awesome. Like
1: we we might not learn a lot, but the players uh, that would be that would be the benefit. It would be the players would they need to get their feet wet with that kind of environment so they can take their game in the offseason and be like, okay. So, so this is what it's like this is you know that's like, really interesting like because god remember uh remember the first game at home in cleveland when lebron returned and i think it was either kyrie or kevin love they had a mic'd up or something and they were like oh is this what the playoffs feels like because they'd never been in the playoffs their whole career and it's like Ooh. and you like you gotta like you gotta yeah. kind of trial by fire get your feet wet get your ass kicked and and you'll kind of be able to reassess and, and learn what you need to do to improve your game
3: actually a good take i just don't want you know is it bad i know I don't want to luca i just want no, to protect. but you <laughs> know what
1: i understand he,
3: he was kicked. you know god you might have swayed me with like a 30 second blurb
1: damn it <laughs> that's um, not an original take other people have that take i don't want to take credit for that one
3: i don't listen to those people i i don't <laughs> hear what they have to say um <laughs> the final things we want to touch on here so it's been what if week at at uh, SB Nation. Neither Josh and I have written anything on this one because Josh had a post too. Because my brain is devoid of all feeling, and I don't know if I could if I could get six hundred words out of this. But we have three stories that I would love for you all to go read. Doyle Raider wrote a really good post on um, what if Carlisle was never hired? What if it was somebody else? Just really interesting to think about. Uh, Jordan Burdess wrote a. Uh, and I'm like, God, Jordan, I love you. I don't know how to say your last name. I've not had to say it. Uh, Brodus. Brodus. God. That's You're close. He's, hopefully he doesn't listen to this and make fun of me. Um, He wrote a good piece on the Mavericks not drafting S- uh, DSJ. And then our man Sam wrote my favorite, pretty much of any of these across all of the sites, and I've read probably 20 <laughs> of them, about what if Luka's game ceiling dunk over the Nuggets – was actually the game sealing dunk because the Mavericks? I don't know if anybody forgets this, but the Mavericks crap the bed. It, that should come as a surprise to no one. Um, what what if they would have won that game? You know what? What were the ramifications of something like that? Because Luca's had a lot of these instances in his first two years where they do something incredible on offense, only to like like trip over their own you know shorts on defense and then lose the game. This was fun. It's fun to consider. I really liked how much thought all of these guys put into these stories because. You know, what ifs are such a fun and horrifying sports experience. Do you have any that really stand out in your mind?
1: I mean, can I do the cop out and do if they resign Nash? No, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a the, great one. Because uh, I think about it. Because what's funny is a lot of people like when you when you look at national people and like you know Bill Simmons and like all the people that like the podcasters that like to talk about these what if stuff. A lot of them say like, "Oh man, if Nash stay with Dallas, they probably, you know, him and Dirk probably win two titles." And I've always thought like, "Man, maybe," but like, I'm going to say something crazy, but I don't think Dirk becomes Dirk if Nash stays. Dirk becomes well, I agree Dirk. With that. And I, I don't. Agree with that. And I almost wonder. I don't think the Mavs make the. I wonder. I don't know if the Mavs make the finals in 2006 with that. If if they have like, if they still have like a Nash Dirk led team, because I, I feel like it's. Take- <laughs> well, I don't know. It was just the way the league was, and the way Dirk played, and the way he changed his game—not just on the court numbers wise, but just kind of emotionally, and the way he kind of matured, and the the way the team kind of changed around him, like. I don't know. Like that, that 2016 was like tough as hell until it all, you know, fell apart. But like, I, I, I don't know. Like, it, I feel like they almost kind of needed that. He needed that to reach the next level. Like, I, I just, I don't know. That's just kind of what I've always thought.
3: Well, the, the thing that gets lost about why Cuban didn't re-sign him was the fact that that Steve had a lot of injury issues.
1: Yeah, it was the back. That was yeah. the reason. And and he
3: used that as motivation to become the player that he became those two needed to be broken up. I think that's a great take. I do kind of wonder what would happen just because of the coaching related stuff. Like, man, Nelson was incredible. Like there was just so many interesting things that could have happened. Um
1: but see, yeah, and that's another thing like Nash and like what is the Nash because Nelly was gonna leave. So does the Nash Dirk team look like with Avery? Ugh. <laughs> like, what does that look like?
3: I mean, Avery's the kind of, you know, like I, I revisited this. The My first, I, I said this on uh, a different podcast, my first foray into internet writing, which led me <laughs> to where we are now, is fireavery.com and FireAvery.com was founded after that terrible game when the Mavs uh, had traded for Jason Kidd, and Avery pulled him out of the game against the Spurs with like 30 seconds left, and his argument was that that Jason Kidd didn't know the playbook. Get the fuck out of here.
1: Jason Kidd.
3: Kidd. (laughs) You know, it was, anyways. So that's a great question. It's one of my favorite favorite things. I will say mine. uh, Mine's going to haunt me. Mine is upsetting. The 2019 draft, the Dallas Mavericks, uh, the the, Warland- oh. and the Memphis Grizzlies all had the same odds. All had the same odds. That doesn't get talked about enough. I think that doesn't get <laughs> talked about enough like generally because nobody cares, but it also doesn't get talked about enough in Mav circles because when you start thinking about it, it makes you cry. Because <laughs> <God. laughs> uh, you put uh, – I love you, Dwight Powell, but um, – you put Zion in that uh, dunking and rolling spot, and the uh, the Mavericks are a uh, out uh, dark horse finals contender right now. Yep, right now. Uh,
1: playing off that, what if uh, the Mavericks didn't have? What if the Mavericks would have stayed third in the lottery in twenty eighteen? Didn't have to trade uh, trade picks to get Luka. One.
3: It's a fun one because you know there's enough guys in that next draft mm-hmm. that. You wonder what they could have done. You know, you and I, uh, uh, we've we've gone back and forth with some Mavs media personalities over this. It was surely not a one man draft, and I, I have faith in the Mavericks coaching and development staff. So long as they have, uh, so long as they put focus on who they're who they're actually developing. You know, Dennis Smith, Dwight Powell, Dorian Finney Smith, those guys are success stories within the Mavericks system. So, you know, what happens if they actually draft someone and give a shit? Yep.
1: And my, my, I think we've talked about this, or at least I've told you this is mine, mine is if they, so if they kept, if they could have drafted Luca without having to trade, and then the next year they trade, they draft Brandon Clark, (laughs) and imagine Luca, it'd be Luca, THJ, Clark, Dorian Finney Smith, KP as your starting lineup. Uh, Ooh. Think about that. Horrifying. I know.
3: Well, you know, I was going to have us talk a little more about how we've been spending our time, but the delightful part of these kind of once a week podcasts is is you and really mainly me. We I talk a little bit more than I anticipate, and, you know, we're right here kind of at the 40-minute mark, and I think that's a good time to call it quits. So do you have anything else before we get out
1: of here? No, I'm good. I'm tired. I'm going to go to bed soon. You should go to bed.
3: <laughs> you should go to bed. I'm going, to, I'm going to post this and we'll get out of here. And right. uh, you know Josh and I might have a podcast next week. I don't want to promise anything, but maybe we will. So thanks for hanging out tonight, Josh. Thank you. All right, guys. We'll see you, see you out there. Subscribe, like, recommend. Talk to you soon.